uh, I wanted to talk about today. It's very important that you listen to what I'm going to tell you today because there is something that that um, um, I'm going to read about. I don't know how much of this I'm going to read, but this the whole thing is so good, I may have to read all of it. Um, it's the 12th chapter of Acts, if you want to follow along. But what, what's been on my mind is, do we believe in the prayer that we pray? Do we? Do we love God enough and know that he loves us enough to believe in the prayer we pray? And, and people say, well, we pray all the time. Yes, but do you believe in that prayer? Do you believe that God will move when you speak in that prayer? Um, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man does what? It availeth much. So, and I know Brad received a revelation that righteous man is Jesus. Remember, the, that's what he came to. Well, are you a son of God too? Aren't you supposed to be doing the same thing? Yes, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. There's something I, I need to, um, let's go to James chapter 5 first before we start on, on Acts 12. I want to show you something here. 13, verse 13. Now listen to this. Is any among you afflicted? That word afflicted in, in uh, uh, the Strong's is to endure hardness, suffer trouble, uh, to suffer evils, uh, hardships, to be afflicted. That's what makes you afflicted is suffering those things. Okay, and then we go back to, so is there any uh, among you afflicted? Let him pray. What, what does it say to do for that? You have these hard things happening? Pray. It's giving you the key. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Remember, we talked about the songs and the hymns, whatever. What do they do? Do they admonish you? I think that's the sixth chapter of Ephesians. You can read that where it says it admonishes you. Okay. And is any sick among you? Now, this word sick, I want you to listen to this. It means to be weak. Um, to be weak, feeble, to be without strength, powerless. But what, what do we assign to it? We think about the human body, don't we? Okay? So it says uh, be weak in means, not being able to perform something. Okay? Needy, poor. Uh, to be feeble, sick. It's a type of sickness, isn't it? So, what, and I want you to listen to this too. It says, any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So what would that oil typify? Well, we do in the natural if it, if it helps you to gain faith. But what is it? It's the oil of what? It is the anointing because that's what they use for the anointing. It typifies the anointing. It also typifies the wisdom that God, remember the, the deal in the lamps, you know, with the virgins and all that stuff? If you go back, it says there's oil in the, in the vessel of the wise. See, that's what, the, I think it's in, in Proverbs, I think it is, somewhere in there. But that's where, the, so the wisdom of God, so why would the wisdom work in this case here? Why does that work? It says the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise them up. And if he has committed any sins, so, this is what it's talking about. Remember, I keep telling you, actually, when we pray for sicknesses, uh, I think it's the sixth chapter of Ecclesiastes, it says, what is the sickness? It's the vanity of the mind. It's the thought that makes you sick. Think about what I just said. It's the wrong thought that makes you sick. 
That's what gets you in those areas. Um, you know, not believing in God, not having the thought of God to overcome those things that are coming against you. So what I want you to start thinking about every time you hear this term sick, it's the vanity of the mind. It's the thought. Start getting that in your mind. Don't think instantly of the, the body because that's what religion has done over all these centuries, teaching us it was something other than what it really is. And, and this is why you know that too. It says, I'll read this again. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he hath committed sins, wait a minute. If his, if his arm is hurting, why is he worried about whether he committed sins? You see where I'm going with this? It was never the natural body, guys. This is talking about the sin-sick soul. Now, if his arm is withered in the sin-sick soul, that means he can't reach God. Remember the guy that was in the temple that had the withered arm and Jesus was in the temple and they waited to see if he was going to heal on the Sabbath. Now, think about that. We just learned about the Sabbath, didn't we? What is the rest? The rest is when God performs the work. He's prepared everything. So if God had prepared everything, when that man with the withered arm came up to Jesus, that is the rest. That is the Sabbath. They took it as the literal day, didn't they? Don't do anything on the, uh, he's going to heal on the Sabbath. And that's a work. Well, guess what the Sabbath is? It's a rest. It's God performing, preparing everything for you. So God had prepared something for that man with the withered arm. And Jesus said, hold out your arm. And when he did that, he spoke the word and the arm came back whole again. Right in the middle of the synagogue. Wow, that blew their minds. But they said, oh, you did that which was contrary to Moses. You did some work on the, on the, on the Sabbath. Well, he knew what the Sabbath was. It's the rest. <laughs> it's where God prepares everything. Everything's prepared already. It was prepared for that man to get his arm healed. You see how it worked? They, so no understanding will bring you to where you will bring accusation against that which God is doing. Wow. That's powerful, isn't it? And then it goes on and says, prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Then it goes right to confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Then it goes into the story of Elijah. What did Elijah do? He, he caused the rain to stop for three years and six months uh, in Israel. Caused it to stop. And God told him to do it. He said, you know, so there would be a famine in the land and the people would have to seek after God more. Really, he was trying to get their attention. And then he told them when to turn it back on again. He said, okay, now pray that the rain will come back. <laughs> so he told him what to do to pray. Pray that it will come back again, you know. That's an interesting story. You, you, you think about it, and guess what the person that was king at that time? Ahab, the husband of Jezebel. And, and so... This is the thing, Ahab considered Elijah an enemy. When he met Elijah, he said, ah, there you are. You're the one that troubles Israel. <laughs> Elijah looked at him and said, not me. You're the one worshiping other gods and leading the people astray and all that stuff. And your wife, too. The whole deal. No, you're the ones leading Israel astray. But the king said he was causing trouble because he was coming against what Ahab wanted. Ahab was one of the most wicked kings Israel had. One of the most. And his wife, we know about her thing, huh? About Jezebel. So that's all part of that. So um, God told him, he said, you shut the heavens up, pray, and we'll shut them up for three years and six months. That ought to trigger your mind about something. Who walked with, what was the time that they walked with Jesus? Same amount of time. 
Three years and six months, a little over three years, three and a half years, the disciples walked with Jesus. Ah, you think maybe it's a foreshadow of what the rain was going to do? What is rain? It's the doctrine of God. Isn't that what Jesus preached, the gospel? Ah, that's all part of that, huh? So it's the time for seeding of the word, for bringing things forth according to the word. Isn't that, doesn't that make sense? It's very cool, man. And so uh, um, the thing that was so funny about that, that led them into that contest where the prophets of, of, of Jezebel and Baal, they had the contest up there about, you know, the God that answers by fire. <laughs> That's when that all came to pass, man. And so, uh, but Elijah did something else I thought was kind of neat. Uh, he had shut the heavens up. God said, okay, pray that they come back you know, on again, that rain will come. He sent his servant out. I think it's Gehazi. Sent his servant out. He said, look out toward the sea and tell me what you see. And he looked out. And he said, I don't see nothing. And so he comes back to him. He says, he sends him seven times. Seven times he keeps sending him back out there. What do you see? I don't see anything. What do you see? I don't see nothing. And then that last time he sent him out, he said, what do you see? He said, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. Little old small cloud. That was enough for Elijah. He said, okay, go tell Ahab to go on to Jezreel because he better get there because his chair is going to get stuck in the mud from the rain that's coming. He saw that little hand cloud and told, he said, tell, okay, go tell Ahab now. Get, get to Jezreel. And Ahab turned his chariot around and started going back to Jezreel and the storm clouds came and it, a deluge, man. Tons of water and everything rained. But you know what Elijah did? He ran before Ahab's chariot and beat him to Jezreel. He had horses in a chariot. Elijah beat him to the city gates, running. <laughs> Go and read this story. It's powerful. That Elijah was a prophet of power, man. He was a prophet of power. And what did he do to Jezebel's prophets during the contest? The God that answered by fire, the one that licked up the dust, the water, the sacrifice, the altar, everything, was the God that answered. And that was his God. You know, Elijah's name means my God is Jehovah. That's what Elijah means. E-L is God, L. Jah is Jehovah, J-A-H. My God is Jehovah. That's his whole name. That's it. He believes that. And so this is very powerful, and he's the most powerful prophet you read about in the Old Testament. And so that's why in the Mount of Transfiguration, when they took Peter, James, and John with Jesus, Remember the cloud came out and the voice spoke out of the cloud and everything? And, and who did the two men that were standing there with Jesus? Moses and Elijah. He represents the power of the prophets. Wow, powerful. And so uh, that was the whole thing. And, and Peter said, okay, time to build three temples. Jesus said, no, no, no. Don't even tell anybody you were here. <laughs> Don't even tell anybody you witnessed this because it's not time yet, you know, to bring all this out. And uh, so very powerful stuff. But um, it's amazing what Elijah did, believing God. He believed if he prayed when God said, you're going to shut the heavens up by the prayer I'm going to give you. He prayed it, no water, famine. You know, everybody's suffering, the whole deal. Um, there's something funny about this thing. Uh, when Ahab, um, he was looking for water when, when everything was shut up. And he had a, a governor named Obadiah. 
And he told Obadiah, he said, you take this half of the land, I'll take this half, and we're going to search out maybe little pools of water that are left or something where we could water the horses and the animals and all this stuff because he's worried he's going to lose everything because of this famine, because of this drought and uh, no rain. And so uh, Obadiah went out one way and, and the King Ahab went the other way. And then Obadiah ran into Elijah. And Elijah said, uh, he's, or he asked him, he said, are you Elijah? He said, yeah, I'm Elijah. He said, well, the king wants to talk to you, you know. And so uh, he said, okay. So he said, tell, tell him I'll meet him, you know, just tell him to come on over here and I'll talk to him, whatever. He said, what, what are you trying to do, fool me? He said, man, we, you're everywhere in this land. We don't know when you're going to be over here, when you're going to be over here, when you're going to be over here. I could tell the king to come meet you and you're going to be someplace and he's going to say, well, I thought Elijah was here and he's going to kill me. He's going to slay me because I didn't, you didn't appear. He said, I tell you what, I'm not going to go. <laughs> I'll stay right here and tell him I will meet him this day. And so Obadiah finally goes and gets him and he tells him, he said, hey, Elijah's over there. He said, and then he came and he met him. And the first thing he told him was that thing I told you before. Are you the one troubling Israel? And I, Elijah told him, no, it's not me. It's you and your wife. You're the ones that are troubling Israel. But he stayed there and Obadiah breathed a sigh of relief because he knew if he hadn't, if Elijah wasn't there for the meeting, Ahab was going to kill him. You know, that's just the way it works. And, uh, but it was a very funny story. But, but the whole thing is, Obadiah is a believer. He's a governor of King Ahab, but he's a believer. When Jezebel was killing all the prophets, he, he took about 100 of them and hid them in a cave and gave them bread and water, you know, and did it secretly. So he, he trusted the Lord. He believed in God. What, why am I saying all these things? Elijah believed in God. Shut up the heavens. Obadiah believes in God. You see how this works? They know who's really troubling Israel. What are we talking about? Love and the believing of the prayer of faith. They believe that if they prayed, God would do. He would move. They believe that. Elijah prayed on many occasions, and God moved in his behalf. That's a very powerful thing, huh? So let me read you this thing here. 12th chapter of, uh, of Acts. I'll talk about some of it, but this is very powerful. It's something, a point I want to get to. So, uh, Herod, very evil king, uh, stretched forth his hands to vex the church. Started killing people in the church. Started sending his men to arrest them and break up meetings and do all kinds of stuff. So, and in order to please the Jews, he took James, which is the brother of John. Remember the two brothers that were fishermen, James and John? They call them the, the sons of thunder. Remember those two? Well, he took James and killed him. Cut his head off. Took the sword and killed him. Because, to please the Jews. Because, you know, James was out there. He did a lot of good stuff. And uh, there were three James that were with disciples. There's a couple more James after that. But this James that was the brother of John is the one that dies here. And Herod takes him and before all the people, he takes him and kills him by the sword. So, so that pleased the people, the Jews, because they were followers of Jesus. They said, yeah, that's good. Get them Jesus followers, you know. And they enjoyed that. So he said, you know what I'll do? I'm going to take another one. Let's put Peter in prison. And then after the Passover, I'll do the same thing to him. That's what he's saying. So they, he sends four, I think they say quaternions of soldiers to go grab them up and bring them to a prison. Now, all that means is that a, a quaternion is, is four soldiers. So he put four of those groups together, 16 men, 
to get Peter to bring him to the prison. He'd heard stories about things that had happened with some of these disciples and stuff, you know. So he thought the force would be enough to, you know, to bring him in there. But he brought him in, uh, put chained him between two soldiers, uh, and then put soldiers outside and then further out in different spots to protect that no one would come in and get him. And he put him down there and he said, now after the Passover is over and we slay the lamb and all that stuff, because they were still doing that. In this scripture, it actually uses the term Easter. We use it differently nowadays, don't we? Easter for a resurrection of Christ, don't we? But back then, they were using it about the lamb being slain. Remember in Egypt, the Passover lamb, you know, they put the blood on the doorposts and stuff. So the people were still celebrating that feast. And that's what they called Easter. And it switched after things changed when Jesus came on the scene. So, but anyway, he said by Easter. So he said, you know what? After they slay their lamb for the Easter, for the Passover, then I'm going to put Peter up and we'll slay him too. And that's what his plan was, you know, to do that. But the whole thing was this. God had other plans. <laughs> it was simple as that. God had other plans. <laughs> I don't care if he's a king. God had other plans. And it was based on prayer. So when they arrested Peter, all the, the group, they're meeting at John Mark's house, his mother's house, he, um, the one that wrote the book of Mark, at John Mark's house. They're meeting at his mama's house, and they're praying for Peter. And they say, you know, look what he did to James. I mean, we're praying that they'll deliver Peter. You know, they put, it's a very earnest prayer. It said they were, they, what was the term that they used about this prayer? They prayed without ceasing. And you know what that meant? It meant fervent. It, we think, you know, okay, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the whole time. No, they said their prayer was fervent. At the times they did pray, it was very fervent. And they gathered together. Well, why gather together? Well, here are still hunting members of the group, see? So they gather together, and they're praying for Peter. They know what's happened to James. They said, we don't want to lose Peter too. That's how they were thinking. And so they prayed without ceasing. And what happens is God does something, sends an angel while Peter's in the prison. He's chained between two soldiers. There's two more groups of soldiers outside in the first ward. There's two more groups beyond that further out. They want to protect so nobody comes and gets this guy and say that the Lord had done something. Well, God is doing something. And God sent an angel. Now, this is what I love about this story. Angel comes up to Peter, smote him, <laughs> hit him, hit him on his side, say, get up. <laughs> hit him. He got up. He said, okay. The chains fell off. He said, take your cloak and wrap it around you, your garment, wrap it around you. He said, come follow me. And he got, smote him on his side. He got up. And Peter is wondering what's going on. Soldiers are still asleep on either side. And the chains fall off. He gets up, walks right past them, walks past the ones that are outside. Gardner walks past another group that's further out down the street. And, and Peter, he comes, he, the angel takes him to a street and disappears. And Peter was sitting there, standing there thinking, he said, did I dream this? Is this a vision? What is it? Am I in the midst of a vision? Whatever. But when he came to, he saw that he really was on that street and that what God had done, that was his angel that had delivered him and pulled him all the way out there. And he's standing there once said, man, was this a vision or am I really here or whatever? He's wondering about it. And he said, then he realizes when he's on the street, he said, man, it really did happen, you know. And so he pulls him out there. He goes right to John Mark's house, knocks on the gate on the outside. Uh, uh, I can't remember the girl's name, but she runs to the door. And uh, she, 
She said, oh, it's Peter. She looks through the thing, shuts the little thing for seeing, and runs back to the disciples. Doesn't open the door for him or anything. <laughs> Peter's at the gate out here. And they look at her and they said, what are you talking about? They said, no, Peter's at the gate. And they said, you're mad. You know, you're crazy. There's no way you can be at the gate. Now, listen now. What had they been doing all that time? That's the point I'm making. We want you to understand that believing prayer and the believing prayer of faith, you got to believe what you pray. They're praying. They're praying earnestly for Peter to be delivered. Peter's standing outside the gate knocking. What's her name? Rhoda? Is that what her name? Rhoda? Rhoda that goes up there and closes the whole thing and runs back. And Peter's out there. Yeah, you're mad. There's no way. And then another guy pipes, oh, it may, might be his angel. Maybe that's what you're seeing. That's what they say. It might be his angel. Maybe that's what you're looking at. But said, no. And so when they went out there to check, it's Peter. Peter comes in the midst of him. He tells him, keep the noise down because they're still searching for us. But don't make such a ruckus. But it was Peter. And he told him the whole story about what God had done to him to deliver him. But the thing that's important to me is that they had been praying. And when the expectation of their prayer shows up, they didn't believe it. You catch it? Are we that way sometimes? I'll pray, but I don't know if God's really going to do this. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe this is too big. Maybe this is something that I don't know if God would answer a prayer like that. But you know what? God was proving himself to them. They prayed for the deliverance, and God delivered him. So it brings a question. Why didn't he do it for James? God knows the timing for everybody. Where their ministry is going to come, where it's going to end, the whole deal. We're dealing with that right now, aren't we? If you stop and think about it, we're dealing with it right now. God knows. God knows all of that. And there was a purpose for his ministry to that point. And remember, there's a couple other James anyway. James, the brother of Jesus, who wrote the book of James. And then the other James that, that is the one that's the head of the church in Jerusalem. Remember, that became the head of the church at Jerusalem. That, and that's what Paul said when he went back there. He said, I perceive James to be one of the pillars of the church. And that's the James that's running the church back there in Jerusalem. So all three of these James were tough guys. They all did their stuff, man. Perfect guys serving God. But one of them had to die. One of them went to his point where he died for the sake of the Lord, isn't it? When you think about that. But that was the purpose and the timing of God. Now, let me tell you something that God was also doing at that time. The disciples were staying hooked up in Jerusalem a lot. They weren't going anywhere. And when the persecution came, later on, you see Paul comes on the scene, doesn't he? But when the persecution comes, what do they start doing? Don't they have to spread out in other places? Ah, the word of God gets spread. They were staying there for such a long time, and God used a little tribulation to get them to move out and start spreading that word of God in different places. Does that make sense? That's exactly what happened. So all of this was for a purpose. All was for a purpose of God. But when we pray, we ha I, I'll tell you why I'm saying this. We've been praying so much lately, and then I've been seeing results of the prayer. Have you guys been seeing it? Have you been noticing that there's been results of the prayer? And sometimes it's not according to what I expect, but I'm just praying. I've learned now. I say, God, you do it the way you want to do it. But just, you know, we've, we've been praying for people, and they'll come back and tell us or say something that, yeah, this happened, that happened, whatever. And first thing your mind goes to, you say, oh, that's things here. No, I'm talking about other things too. 
I'm praying about barriers being dropped for people that are cursing and stuff so they can attend the word and hear the word of God. Uh, overcome the things that kept them from serving God in the past. That's what I'm praying for. Praying for comfort when they go through a strong tribulation. God comfort them by the Spirit. And God seems to be doing that. He's doing all of those things. Those prayers are working. I, I was thinking the other night, I said, God, we've been praying and praying and praying for so many things. And a lot of those things are coming to pass. They're coming to pass. And um, sometimes it's even funny how that works. My wife and I, sometimes we, we think about people and we may pray for them, say a little prayer for them or whatever. And we, we hadn't seen them or whatever like that. Next thing you know, within a week or two, what are we doing, Ma? Talking to them, walking right up on them. It's kind of a maybe haven't seen him for years, but we said something, and then all of a sudden, in the prayer, I don't believe those things are accidents because people always ask, Well, what you doing? How are you doing now? Da 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 da. Yeah, and we have the church over here, we have the WebEx and stuff. You ought to come and join us sometime. That's why a lot of this new stuff you'll see people coming on now. I think that's very important, but we're, we're mentioning them in prayer. That's what's going on. We're believing the prayer that God gives us by faith. We believe God's going to answer that. Does he always answer the way that you would want him to answer? No. He may do just the opposite of that. I told you about Paul. Paul besought him how many times? Three times to do what? Thorn of the flesh. And, you know, Paul had prayed in the past, and God had done great things for him in his prayer, had answered the prayer. This time he had, and that's what made it so funny to Paul. He said, Lord, I've asked you three times. That's he made it funny because he used to pray and things would happen. You know, things started happening. But this time it didn't. God was trying to get his attention. He was trying to get his attention. I prayed three times, and this has not happened, for this thorn in the flesh. And, and God's basically telling them, no, that ain't going to happen. You know why? Because <laughs> I gave you that messenger of Satan. To buffet you in the flesh. Does that sound weird? Not anymore, but didn't it sound weird? I gave you a messenger of Satan to buffet you in the flesh? Wait, wait, wait. Let's say it again, Lord. I want to hear real good. I gave you that messenger of Satan to buffet you in the flesh. Why? Because of the abundance of revelations you had, all the things that you did that happened by your hand, the miracles you did. Every Remember, you used to send handkerchiefs to people, and when it touched the person, they were healed. Think about Eutychus, fell out of the window, went and laid himself on him, raised him up from the dead. What about the viper that slatched onto his hand, and it was a two-stepper? You know, you take one step and two, you're dead. That's how the poison was. And they all looked at him as he shook it off in the fire and just kept on gathering firewood. <laughs> then they said, no, he's a god, and they named him. They said, you're Mercury, the god Mercury, of their gods that named him. All of this stuff, because look at what happened to him. Then he says, I asked the Lord to do something for me. He doesn't do it. Wait, wait a minute. What, what's going on here? And God says, I wanted to do this this way to show you that my grace is sufficient. Isn't that powerful? My grace will carry you through, Paul. Whether I do this thing here or not, my grace is going to carry you through. How many times did he change his mind about going places? Well, we're going to go to Bithynia over here. That's what I, me and the group, we're on our journey. We're going to go to Bithynia. I believe we can uh, put the word of God out over there. That night has a dream. A man from Thessalonica says, come help us. <laughs> Guess where he went? 
He went over to Thessalonica. That's how that works. See how we have plans that are set up. We have things that we believe. We have expectations of our prayers. Let's, let's knock that out. Let God do what he's going to do. Because num number one, he's going to do it better than you, what your expectation is. It's always better. It may not be what you wanted, but it's going to be the best thing for you. Because you think that's what Paul, oh, I, I want that messenger of Satan to buffet me in the flesh. Really? <laughs> but after he understood, he said, good. Makes a difference when you understand, huh? But it didn't answer the, according to his expectation. He wanted God to heal him of that thing. That's why he asked him three times. We think he was wasting his breath. He was asking him three times. And that's what brought the attention to him. And God said, I'm going to show you what my grace is all about. And then does Paul make a, uh, testimony later. He says, I did more than they all, but not I, but the what? The grace that was in him. Wow. And he did do more than that. Wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Think about this. Went through all those different things that he did. Uh, got many proselytes under him, people that worked under him, women and men that became preachers of the gospel established the Gentile churches, did all he did. But you get to 2 Timothy chapter 4, you start think, looking at him. He said, I see my crown now. I'm done. I see my crown. Remember, he requested to go to, who, who, where was he going? He requested to see somebody when, when they had captured him and was putting him in jail, and he appealed unto somebody. Who did he appeal to? The government of that time. Yeah, who, who was the head of the Roman government? Caesar. He appealed unto Caesar. They said, if this man had not appealed unto Caesar, we could let him go right now. But he appealed unto Caesar, and he had Roman citizenship. So they had to make their way to Rome. You read the book of Romans, read the first chapter. Paul's excited about coming to see them because he hadn't been there before and see how the church is doing, and maybe I can uh, leave a gift with you or whatever. He's excited about going. He's still thinking about the Lord. If you read the book of Acts, you will find out that Paul saved some of Caesar's household while he was in prison for that two years in the house that they put him in. Very powerful stuff. Paul was working for God all the way to the end. You know how they said he died? They beheaded him. That was the way Paul died. But man, he was fighting all the way to the end. He was doing what God wanted him to do all the way to the end. That's amazing, isn't it? So the prayer, love and the believing of prayer, they love God. These people that pray, is that what you need to do? Do you need to find out? Dan said it this way, can you learn to love God more than what you think you love him right now? There's a learning to love God. There's a, an experience in God. You're praying, you're following, you're, you're listening to the gospel. You're believing the word of God that comes from on high. What is God doing all that time? Isn't he helping you to enter into that rest? He is. Isn't he providing everything for you to be that son of God? Is he helping your angel to manifest itself in the works that come from heaven? Isn't it true? Isn't it the word that's working? These things, you get into the spirit. Then you start walking by the spirit and not by that flesh. That's how it's going to happen. Listen to that gospel. Listen to the things that are being said. Look at the examples that are done all around us, even in this word. Put yourself in it because God's doing the same thing for you. He is going to do that. You just have to believe him. 
So there were people that prayed, and when the expectation came forward, they said, what? That can't be him. Yeah, it is. What were you praying for? Yes. And God is proving himself to them. When you pray, I'm listening. I'm hearing what you're saying. I can do these things. It's powerful, huh? Now look at your own life. Those things that you have tribulation in. The affliction. Catch it. The sickness that may be working in the vanity of the mind. Can you pray and have God overcome those things? We keep talking about how much we want to fight the devil. Yeah, I'm going to fight the devil here and fight the devil there. What did Dan tell you? He said, the more you follow Jesus, the more you're opposing the devil. The more you believe Jesus, the more you're opposing the devil. The more you walk after Jesus, the more you're opposing the devil. Every time we let that love of God take us closer to him, we are opposing the things of the devil. The devil that hates you, that hates God. But we're opposing that. So it's not us standing there fighting, trying to have some battle with them. You're letting God take care of it. The rest. Isn't this what God is? He's prepared everything already. Walk into it. This, is that where the peace is going to come? In the rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me. Doesn't he say that? Wow. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Think about what he's telling us. Come on me, all you that labor and are heavy, laden with what? Troubles, tribulation, whatever's in your world. And I will give you rest. Gosh, it's all coming together, isn't it? Believe your prayer, guys. Believe the prayer that you pray and let God answer according to his will. According to the way, he's going to answer the best for you. Whatever it's going to be. Pray to God in a belief. Don't say it as a, a pattern or just by rote or something that you need to say. Pray believing God. And as you do that, as you walk, your prayers will become powerful. It'll be like when the disciples say, Lord, teach us how to pray like that. There's going to be something acting and going on in your prayer. Now we understand how the Spirit works, huh? Now we know about the anointing. We know about being in love with Jesus. We know about believing him and trusting him. We know about the faith that it takes. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We're going to increase in all these things. Are we becoming to a one? We're becoming all things in heaven and all things in earth going to finally come to a one, to a unification. How is that happening? By the people of God that believe. When you believe, that's when it's going to happen. People of God believing by the prayer of faith. So when you pray, believe in what you ask for. Didn't it say that in another scripture too? Believe what you ask for. Believe it and see what God does for it. He may tell you, he says, you know what? You believed it and I'm answering this prayer, but I didn't answer it the way you wanted me to. But I'm answering for the best thing for you. The best for you. God knows what he's doing. It's a powerful thing. So love and the believing prayer of faith. Love God. Love him because he first loved you. And then have that believing prayer of faith. When you pray, believe what you ask for. Believe it and see what God does. And be willing to accept whatever he says, whatever way he wants to do it. I'll accept it, Lord, because you know what's best. Because you're trying to get me to enter into the rest. If I follow you, it'll work. Isn't that true? Anybody have any questions for me about anything I said today?
Still thinking about Elijah shutting the heavens up for three years. That's something. And then prayed again. God said, pray again now. <laughs> Saw a cloud the size of a man's hand. Said, oh, it's coming. How many of us would say that? Oh, man, we still don't see much of anything. No, that's all he needed. And one told, hey, you better hurry up and get to Jezreel. The rain's going to overtake you, man. <laughs> and he ran ahead of him and beat him there. That is cool to me. You stop and think about what those prophets did. You stop and think about what Jesus did. You stop and think about the, what the apostles did. And they believed in prayer. And we need to do it too. Isn't that true?